Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Corinthians. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. For more teachings, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. You may also contact Pastor John by email at thewayministries001 at gmail.com. You're in, you're in. Thank God for that. But, you know, God is a great teacher too. Not only does he want us to rule and reign with him in heaven, he wants us to be living examples down here of his a transformed life through the power of his word. Amen? And that's what we're all about in this ministry, about a transformation that takes place through the renewing of our mind, through the word of God. The power is in the words of God. And the, the simpler we can get them out there, the easier we can grasp them and actually be able to apply them. If we don't understand the words of God, if we try to make them too high and lofty, then we'll never be able to grasp them where we can actually do something with it. Amen? I'm glad that this ministry remains teachable. Amen? And humble. And let the God, let the Holy Spirit raise us up. Amen? Instead of the wisdom of the world, which is, we talked about that last week. Alright, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians. We are going to start in chapter 8 again, but there's an awesome verse on the board there, James chapter 1. I think our sister Mary put that up there so faithfully. Those tidbits are awesome, I'll tell you. I love them, right? God uses everybody. You know, it's so important to understand that, you know, you can do anything for the Lord. It comes moving a chair or helping somebody open a door, anything. God, for God's glory, amen? And nothing goes unnoticed for God. He knows the motive of our hearts, you know? And it touches me because and I, I I couldn't wait to come, to be honest with you. I wanted to be here, and it's like I'm really grateful for the people that, you know, that send me the text and say, I can't wait to come tonight. I'll see you tonight. I'm looking forward to it. It's like so much different from the norm you hear about Christianity, you know? Most, you know, so I'm just so grateful that we can can do this. Amen. And I, I just pray for everybody. Pray for the weaker believers, pray for the unbelievers. You know, not everybody's solid, and everybody, you know, this this kind of stuff really tests us out there. You know, even the strongest believers get tested in all this, you know. So we're not to look down on the weaker ones, but to help build them up in their faith. Amen. Be living examples to them that they too can achieve what we achieved, that God drew us. Amen. That's right. One body. That's right. We were all at one time always shaken by things. When you grow and mature, you're not shaken so easily. But we have to help stabilize people that are. That's our, that's our goal. Okay, look what it says in verse 12 of James chapter 1. Is everybody there? Awesome. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Alright, so God says is attached a blessing to those who patiently endure testing and temptation. So there's two things. There's a testing that goes on. Our faith gets tested like in this thing that's going on out there right now. Right? And then there's also the temptations. Now, we get tempted to do things. Our, our sinful nature tempts us and draws us away from God. We have to understand that He blesses those who patiently endure that. And we resist. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So we have to submit to God, though. We have to remember that He's the authority, and He's the only one that can empower us to resist these temptations. They're strong. We get tempted really 
It's they're strong. And we think unless we fulfill them that they're, they're not going to go away, but they will. Bible, Jesus said that he'd never give us more than we can handle. And he would provide a way out. A way out is Jesus. Amen? He's the way out. Now look what it says. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What's the crown of life? The crown of life is that delayed gratification that you get when you overcome your sin nature. When you sit there and you and you reflect on what God did for you and you didn't go to that temptation or you were faithful, that joy and that peace that you have in your heart from doing it. But it doesn't come right away. That's the delayed gratification. Instant gratification is our flesh. It what leads us away from God. And at the end of the day, we're like, oh, why did I do that? So we understand the difference. That's why it brings life to us. When we do it, right, at the end is life. And you say, wow, I'm, yeah, got it, you know? That's one up, you know? Take that, devil, you know what I mean? And you feel li- alive. Because you resisted the sin and the temptation and the testing and your faith was strong and you felt alive. It links fire to you. But when you fail and you gratify your flesh, you don't get that. You get that, oh, man. God still forgives us, but you don't get that glorified, the, the crown of life that he's talking about. Resisting temptation and patiently enduring testing brings life to us after. But it's not instant. See, that one thing we learn as we mature as Christians, that it's not instant anymore. Once we obey God, there's not an instant gratification from it. Sometimes there's a, there's a like awful, like, ugh, feelings and uckiness, and then they go away, and then we get through that, and that butterfly comes off. Say, thank you, Jesus. But you know, when you fail, you don't feel that. You feel more like the caterpillar again. You don't feel free. Because you're not free, because you just got enslaved again. Amen? Because you can't, you can't rejoice in slavery. Nobody rejoices in that. But you rejoice in freedom from the sin nature. And that's what we're working towards. That's an awesome scripture, Mary. Thank you. That's good. All right, let's go to our, um, back to our study. Now, we know we left off in 1 Corinthians that we went into a couple of verses, but we're going to start from one. We might as well just go right down. They were asking a question about food that was offered to idols. And back then, you know, the pagan temples were sacrificing too. Remember, you read the Old Testament, they were offering sacrifices to Molech and all these other gods. And they were, their conscience was, was like, you know, if we eat any of that food, like, aren't we participating in that? People were weaker kind. David, you know, Paul said, you know, those things are just, there's nothing there. Because only there's only one God. But people with weaker conscience, well, we don't want to participate in any of that. So if they, if they don't eat it. Look what he says here. Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Paul educated him on this particular instance. He said, yes we know we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important. It is love that strengthens the church. He had to drive that home. Knowledge makes us feel important, but love is what strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. I like that. So I just want to go back and just talk about that um, food offered to idols, and we're just going to go down a little bit. Meat bought in the marketplace, okay, was likely to have been offered to an idol in one of the many pagan temples that were in Corinth. Okay, animals were brought to a temple, killed before an idol, as part of a pagan religious ceremony. 
okay, and eaten at a feast to the idol or taken to butchers who sold the meat in the marketplace, okay? The believers wondered if by eating such meat, they were somehow participating in the worship of idols. They didn't want anything to do with it, so they were wondering, hey, if I eat any of that meat, is that like, is that like, am I participating in that? Is that wrong to do? And then Paul was also, as you go down, he's talking about knowledge is important, but love is more important than knowledge. Can I get an amen for that? Please, we have to understand that in church. Knowledge can make us look good and feel important, but we can all too easily develop an arrogant know-it-all attitude. Many people with strong opinions are unwilling to listen to and learn from God and others. We can obtain God's knowledge only by what? Loving Him. God gives us knowledge as we show more love to Him. Look what it said in James 3. We went there last time, remember? Peace-loving, gentle at all times. That's the wisdom that comes from God. Okay, and we can know and be known by God only when we model Him by showing love. See, God show, how do we show God in our lives? By quoting scripture and beating up people with it? No, it's by showing love. You see? See, the scripture is supposed to lead us to Christ, which is love. Peace-loving, gentle, being easily, um, being able to deal with others in a patient way, not throwing scripture at them and, and, and preaching to them. Amen? That's the last thing people need is another preacher preaching to them when they're doing something, right? That's the last thing we need, right? We need the love of Christ when we fail. So we're supposed to do the same thing. Now, Paul addressed these words to believers who weren't bothered by eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Although idols were phony, which we know they are, and the pagan ritual of sacrificing to them was meaningless, eating such meat offended some Christians with more sensitive consciences. He was trying to tell them, Paul said, therefore, that if a weaker, or less mature believer misunderstood their actions, they should, out of consideration... Avoid eating meat offered to them. So this, he's saying, if you you know that there's nothing wrong with it, but somebody with a weaker conscience that is bothering, would you could actually sear them by doing it in front of them because they don't want. Instead of you, as a mature believer, you say, nope, I won't do it either. Then, out of consideration for the other person, can I get an amen for that? We have to understand that now. Okay, so we have to understand. We actually. We're growing. The people here are growing. They are. You can see it in their lives. And the way we show growth is by what? Loving. And you can see that. In the beginning, we get what? Knowledge. And we get kind of like raspy. You know, we get overzealous. Everybody gets this to the same place as they go through this transformation. Then they start to simmer down. And they understand that people don't see what we see. Because we've been doing this and learning it. Now we have to understand that we have to see where we used to be in them and how we would want to be treated so now we start to see that and we start to show love and now when people are all frail and going nuts you say it's gonna be it's okay let's pray it's gonna be all right i remember i was like that too but see the word of god is what's strengthening me that's why i go to bible see, it's an awesome opportunity to tell people about god and what you do to get stronger because just believing in Jesus gets you to heaven. But that doesn't change you from being worried and concerned and all the things. Because our mind is still infected. The only thing that changes is that renewing our mind. Coming to Bible study. Right? 
doing the inner work that we need to do on ourselves so we can get set free of some of them bondages so we can be a help for them. That's what it's all about. It's a transformation. Okay? Now look what it says. It says, But while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Now we know, listen, if you go around somebody that thinks they has all the answers, look, just stay clear of them because it says clearly in the Bible they don't have the answers. Okay? They don't have, they just have to say something. Look, nobody has all the answers. Only God does. There's a lot of things that I, I don't have all the answers to all this stuff. That's what faith is all about. So if every, if a human being could think they know everything about the Bible and can unlock it all, stay away from because then nobody can unlock it all. It's a faith walk. And let me tell you something. God will teach each and every one of us at the proper season. As we keep continuing His Word and growing, the Holy Spirit will teach us. Amen? That's all we need. Spiritual pride is the biggest sin in the churches today. People get full of knowledge and reading the Bible and going to church and then they think that they're high and mighty. But no, if you are, you'll be like this now, like a little kid willing to offer your, your hope to someone else and being willing to yield to others. Amen? That's how you know that you're getting taught right. Now look what it says. Who does God recognize? But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Does it say the person who knows the whole Bible in and out? No, it says the person who loves God. God knows our heart. He knew King David's heart, right? That's why he chose him. The other people didn't have a heart for God. They had a heart for what? Themselves, for the flesh, to get recognized and get acknowledged. King David had a heart for God. Remember when we went after Goliath? Who are you to defy the living God? He said, went up to him. He went right in his face. He trusted God. Everybody else was shaken, right? He said, who's this guy? I'm going to cut your head off. And, the, and he was laughing at him, the Philistine. Remember saying, I'm going to let the birds eat you. You, what did you come at me with a stick. What am I, some dog, he said? No, who are you to defy the word of God, living God? I'm going to cut your head off. That's what I'm going to do. And he threw that little rock, right, sunk in his head. But then, remember, though, I, I didn't understand this. That rock did not kill him. It put him down on the ground and knocked him out. David killed him with his own sword. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. Just like he said. And he cut his head off. He wasn't dead yet. <laughs> and everybody got what? Jealous of David's great faith. This is what happens. We have to understand as mature believers with great faith. Even weak, are going to get jealous of your faith. You have to understand that, but you still have to love them. When, you, when your faith gets strong, it actually sheds light on people's faith that it's weak. So you have to help them. Build them up. Say, it's okay. I, I understand. You can't show it off. Amen. That's what he's trying to say. I happen to have... Look, this, this really hasn't shaken me that much, this stuff. Because I know in the Bible, it says in, in Psalm 91, that he's not... If, all that trust in me, if the, you make the Lord your refuge, no disease is going to come on you. That's what it says. So I'm using that. That's what I... I'm a believer in the Word of God. That's what I'm putting my faith in. <laughs> Amen? But some people are weak and they don't, some people don't know that scripture. You understand? The Bible is very, a lot of people are very illiterate to the Bible, not to make fun of anybody, but a lot of people are not taught to go to their Bible and read it and study it all the time. They're told to go to church, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and let someone else teach them. No, you have to get spoon fed, then you have to feed yourself. That's how it comes. That's what maturity is all about. And that's what it's all about here. That's why we have the daily walk. That's an awesome thing, right? 
as we go into the New Testament, we see where the Old Testament ties into his sacred scriptures. Because now we know what it's, where he was. It's actually coming alive more than it ever did for me now. It's like, wow. Now look what it says. Some manuscripts read, the person who loves has full knowledge. What, the real, what it's really saying is, when you love somebody, you have knowledge. You see? You understand God is love. So when you can show love, then you have the knowledge of God. That's what he's saying. You've learned everything you need to learn. God is love. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. And these scriptures teach us how to do that. Not to, the, the, the scriptures don't tell us to become arrogant and proud. They tell us to get what? Humble and meek. Now look what it says. Now verse 4. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. We understand that, right? There, are, may, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But he's saying, but for us, Christians, believers, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. See, we live through Christ. However, see, what he's trying to say here, not all believers know this. You see, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as a, 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 the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. You see, it is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. That's how you know you're growing. When somebody with a weaker conscience, that you know that every, the Bible's clear that it's okay to do, but somebody that doesn't know that yet, we don't want them to stumble over it so we don't do it until they can get to the understanding that it's okay. Understand? That's what he's talking about. Good, so we understand that. So that's how you know you're grown. When you, you know, some people will say, hey, listen, the Bible doesn't say I can't do that. <laughs> here I go, and here I do it in front of people, right? And there's somebody weaker that's saying, oh my God, what are they doing? That's bad. Right? Now you just violated their conscience by doing it in front of them. The Bible says in Romans, keep it between yourself and God. Blesses the man that does something that, think, that he thinks is right and doesn't get offended. It's not clearly written in the Bible as sin. But somebody with a weak conscience that might think it's sinful to do it, don't do it in front of them. Don't tell them about it. Don't give them your opinion on any of that gray area stuff. Your opinions don't belong in the pulpit. Or what you think is right and wrong. It's only what God thinks is right and wrong. And if you think something's wrong, it's wrong, the Bible says. If somebody else thinks it's okay, it's okay. But if you're mature, don't do it in front of them. Can I get an amen for that? That's what it's all about, because there's a lot of gray areas in the Bible. Some people can't touch certain things, and some people are okay with it. So if you're okay with it, keep it between yourself and God. Don't be saying to a weaker believer, hey, don't worry about it. It's good. I do it. It's all right for you to do it too. 
That would be violating God. That's a sin, the Bible says. You're violating their conscience. And that a weaker believer can stumble over that. Now look what it says. Not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real, so when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. Look at verse 8. It is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We know that. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. Remember, Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. It's not a food. Remember when the curtain went up, they, they used to follow all the laws, right? Then Peter got the revelation. He said, eat the shellfish. Eat whatever you want. It's good. Oh, no, we can't do that. But that was the progressive revelation of God taking that away, the law. The new covenant was it's okay to eat anything as long as you glorify God with it. But some, not everybody knows that. You see, some people still say, oh, no, don't, don't ever eat that. If it, if, if it violates, don't eat it either. That's just, don't eat it. Big deal, no big deal. You don't want to violate them. You want to love them. Love, love denies self for the benefit of others. So if you know the Bible and you have knowledge and wisdom, you will show love for that person and not violate them. That's what it's about. I'm saying that's what it says. So look what it says. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if you, if others see you with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. You see it? And when you sin against other believers, here it is in verse 12, when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. You see? Look, if they believe something's wrong, then for them it's wrong. If you believe it's okay for you, for you it's okay. But don't try to convince them it's okay if they believe it's wrong. That's where maturity comes in. You don't try to force your opinion on them. It's God. The Holy Spirit is what guides them. And we don't want to violate that. And that's what, there's where the maturity comes in. And the Corinthians were very immature because they were living in New York City. Think about it. Just imagine coming in from New York City, living a life. Or coming out of America, say to say, the way you live for 20, 30 years by the principles of this country and getting plopped in a church seat. Okay? And saying, okay, you're going to follow all this now to be saved. You can't. It takes time. It's like, how long did it take you to even get to that understanding where, wow. You know what I'm saying? So we have to be really gentle with them people because you don't want to snuff out the smoking flag. Me, myself, I have to be careful. Because I'm saying, you know, God convicts me all the time. I shut up sometimes, you know. You get overzealous, you know. And that's, I'm human. I, I, I love people, but you have to understand, I'm a human being. I'm not God. So something that might come out might be off. I'll apologize. I'll apologize now. But the word of God, when the word of God comes out, nothing's wrong with that. Amen? Amen. But nobody's perfect. I thank God that my, the people here have the grace to give me, give me grace. 
Because I'm because I tell you that I'm no better than you. We're on the same boat here. But God has just gifted me to help this do this. You guys got gifts to do other things. You guys do awesome things for the church. You give and you help and you serve. Everybody has a different thing. It's all connected. We're all parts of one body. One body, many parts. But if all the parts are separated, we can't get connected. That's what's wrong with the churches today. We can't get connected because nobody's acknowledging that we all need each other. They think there's like a hierarchy that runs it. No, everybody runs it. It's God's family. If there's something off, we say it. It's off. Something's on, it's on. But when one part's missing, something else is missing in the body. See, it's always. One part suffers, all the parts suffer. People don't get the real understanding of the simplicity of the Bible. So we need to get together because we're all parts. The Bible says we're all connected by the blood of Jesus. It's all flowing through us. That's like mysterious. It's like my connection with my brothers and sisters here is like something that I never really experienced in my life with my regular family. It's it's just it's it's mysterious. It's like it's like a, a it's like a connection that it, it can't. We accept each other more here than we do in family. Family holds everybody accountable for everything. Our family here, yeah, we give ourselves grace and mercy, and we stumble and we love each other and. We're all diverse, but we love each other. It's like, wow. Wouldn't that be great if my real family was like that? Well, that's, you know what? That We can make it like that by being part of the light into that. You know what I mean? Bring the light to there. Sit down and keep your mouth shut and be graceful to them and let them see Christ in you. Then they'll say, wow. You weren't like that before. What happened? I don't know what happened, but God got hold of me. <laughs> Thank God. You know, you can be real about it. Something happened. I'm not sure what it was, but something happened, and people will see it. Because let me tell you something about God. You can never figure out how the Holy Spirit is. Like, you see the wind. You can't figure out how you're born again. Like, I don't know how I really got here. Like, it's, it's like I can't really, like, pinpoint it. You can't really pinpoint how this happened. You know, I just did. It's, it's awesome, though. Man. It's like it, it's mysterious, but it's joyous. It's I don't know. You can't get that anywhere else. Only through God. Only the Spirit of God can give us this. I can. I could never have joy in adversity before. I'm starting to understand. Wow, I can be peaceful right now. If I trust God, like the Bible says, I can be okay right now. But if I choose not to, then I'm not going to be okay. So it's a choice. I know, I understand I have a choice and God's never going to leave me nor forsake me or you either. And that's a good thing. Now look what it says. Now he says, when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. So if what I eat, look what Paul's saying now. If what I eat causes other another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. That's how much he, That's how much love he had for the people. He says, not only would I not do it in front of them, I won't even eat it again. Imagine? That's deep love. That is unbelievable. That is, that's maturity right there. Say, so you know what? If, they, if it bothers them that much, I'm not going to do it with them without them anymore because I love them that much. That's the kind of love that, that's what maturity is in the Bible. You see, maturity is not how much scripture you know. It's how much of this you can actually do. 
How much of this love do you have inside of you? Do you have the love of God inside of you to actually say, I'm never going to do that again in front of people or not in front of them? Just so my other brothers don't think this, stumble over it. So my prayers won't get hindered. Whatever. That's spiritual growth, you see? It doesn't take rocket science for that. It takes humility. I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Amen. Oh, right, we got through that. That was a good chapter. Even the one before that about the sexual stuff. And you know, like people don't like to go to that. But it's very important because that's a big one. The sexual stuff really gets hold of people. It's deep. It's powerful. But if we can't talk about it, that means it still has power. All right, let's go to chapter 9. Paul was defending his authority now. They were starting to question his credibility, the Corinthians, because other people were coming in with superior knowledge, and they were all trying to come in and diss him. Now, let's, let's look what he's saying here. Look what it says in verse 1. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus, our Lord, with my own eyes? He's the only one that's seen the risen Christ. Paul, isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? He's saying, even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. How did he defend himself? By the changed lives and the people he was with. That's how he defended himself. Let me talk about that a minute. Some Corinthians in verse 1 were, were questioning Paul's authority and rights as an apostle. Okay? So Paul gave his credentials. He actually had seen and talked with the resurrected Christ, okay? Who had called him to be an apostle. That was in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 18. Such credentials make the advice he gives in this letter more persuasive, okay? In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul defends his apostleship in greater detail. But not, here's what he was trying to say. He said, change lives were the evidence that God was using Paul. That's how you know if God is using somebody by the changed lives and the people he's preaching to. That's how you can tell if God sent them. But if the people aren't getting their lives changed, they know that God didn't send them because they're listening to them and not God. That's the truth. A changed life is the evidence that the preaching is proper and it's from God. Does your faith have an impact on others? You can be a life changer, helping others grow spiritually, if you dedicate yourself to being used by God and letting Him make you effective. He's the one who does. Okay, so that's the evidence. Let me tell you something. Ain't nothing in me. But people's lives are changing in this ministry. People's lives are changing. Because it's the Word of God is in its purest form is going out there and nothing else. And that's why people's lives are changing. Amen? Thank God. Me and myself of nothing. God is the one that is using me. Amen? All glory goes to God, not to me. Oh, God is good. Amen? Now look what it says. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Here's what he was trying to say. Are those who examine me. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do uh, and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? 
What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? I am expressing merely a human opinion. Am I expressing merely a human opinion or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect the share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. That's what he's trying to say. We would rather put up with anything than be, than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Now he's saying right here, yet I have never used any of these rights. Why hasn't he? And I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I'd rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Now I want to stop there and expand that out a little bit. Okay? Paul uses himself as an illustration of giving up his personal rights, okay? Paul had the right to hospitality, to be married, and to be paid for his work. But he willingly gave up these rights to win people to Christ, to not let them think that he was in it for the money or for any other reason. That's how much he loved the people. When, you fo when your focus is on living for Christ, your rights become comparatively unimportant, Okay? Jesus said that workers deserve their wages in Luke chapter 10 verse 7. Paul echoes this thought and urges the church to be sure to pay their Christian workers. We have the responsibility, he's saying, we have the responsibility to care for pastors, teachers, and other spiritual leaders. It is our duty to see that those who serve us in the ministry are fairly and adequately compensated. Now one thing you know about here, I don't get paid and I don't care about that and you know it. I go to work every day just like you do. I'd rather do that than put a burden on the people so they can get the good news about Jesus and get set free. Amen? That's what's important. The money's not important. But it says right here that everybody should get paid. It does not matter though. Paul didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Because you want to think people were in it for the money. You go out there now and you tell the people, well, we're not paying you anymore. You see how many places shut down. Okay, so you're not getting paid. You got to go to work now. Okay, we're going to support the building and everything else, but not you. You got to go back to work. You'll see how fast all these places shut down. Amen. Not saying that it's a bad thing. We should take care of the people if we can. But let me tell you something. That's not shouldn't be the core thing. The core thing should be the word of God going out. Amen. As long as I can work, why should I? I go to work every day. I like going to work because then I can get people saved out there. It's like a mission field, and it gives you responsibility. 
So Paul was trying to, the only reason why Paul was saying that is because he didn't want them to think he was in it for the money like the other people that were coming in. They were giving money to. He's saying, I came and did this. You, I got you saved. I brought you to Jesus. And you're giving these people all kinds of money. They're just trying to take your money from you. That's what happens with people in ministries. They get saved by some ministry. They get rooted in a good word of God. Then they go off and start uh, supporting something else instead. I mean, they should be supporting where they got saved. Whatever happens. You know, God changes everything all around. Because, you know what? People can start off with good intentions in ministry. And end up on the wrong road. So you have to understand the two. But we know we're not about money here, right? We know that. Never. God's the gift. Now, preaching the good news was Paul's gift and calling. And he said he couldn't stop preaching even if he wanted to. He said he was compelled to do it. Now, I can relate to him because there's many a times when I'm like, really? Do I get to do this? And it's like, I cannot not do it. It's just, it's just something, I cannot not do it. I'm compelled to do it. Just like Jeremiah said, I'm not going to talk about you anymore, Lord, because everybody's everybody I'm talking about, they want to kill me. But he could not not do it. Something inside him was burning. It's the same thing here. It's like, this is, it's just so crazy. Like It's like, when you're willing to like die for a cause, then you know that it's God. Because it doesn't matter. Okay. Just so you know, I love everybody here. And that's why we do it. And I know, I know what I can, I, I sense real love from the people here. You know, it's a different kind of love. It's like, we love you. It's like, it's not like love you and go. It's like, we love you. If we'll, 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 you know, we'll take care of you. Like if something happens to anybody in here, everybody helps everybody, right? Doesn't matter what it is. That's love. Now that's what he was trying to say. Now look what it says. I just want to keep going. Now let's go to verse 16. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What, what then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. You see that? Look, look at the heart of Paul. What was his pay? The opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Even though I am a, I am a free man with no master, I have a, become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. See it? When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish laws, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. You see what he's trying to say? Like, he become all things to all people to get them to Christ. Like, some people say, well, I'll never go where they go. You know what? Why? Paul did. He said he went where they went and he did what they did so they he could bring them to Christ. If you don't, if you don't help them, how are you ever going to bring them? The Bible's clear what it tells you to do. Look what it says. He lived like a Jew. When I'm with the Gentiles, look what he says. Look at verse 21. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. You know what he's trying to say? His motive in everything he did was to bring people to Jesus. The motive of his heart was to get people saved. That's how you know the height of your maturity. What is your motive? 
Why are you talking to people about Jesus? Are you doing it to get notified or are you doing it to get them saved and honor God? That's the difference. And look what it says. I love this. I Look at verse 20. What he says. I too, verse 21, when I'm the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law, ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. You see it? Everything he can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share his blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. What are you running to win? Souls. We're running now. Look, when you get born again, you're saved to, to win souls. You have a new purpose. That's why nothing else satisfies you anymore in the world. You can do all the stuff. That will, you never get satisfied for that anymore. What satisfies you when you get somebody saved and a soul saved? That's what gives us satisfaction now. And this is what Christians don't understand. They go on try to live for themselves again, and they get miserable. Because you're not, you're saved from living for yourself now. You're saved from living, for living for Jesus. Once you get a soul to Christ, boy, let me tell you something. You ain't, none of the world can fill that. Once you get a soul to Christ, nothing, I mean nothing, will give you that experience that the world can offer. You can buy mansions, cars, everything. That'll all wear away. Getting a precious soul to Christ is something you take with you forever. Ever. Every day you get up and you see somebody that you help find Christ gives you joy. That's why there's lemon juice believers because they're not getting what they want. What they want is not helping them anymore because they're not doing what God called them to do. You're still serving yourself. All this in heaven too. Let me tell you something. When you're a mature believer, getting some soul to Christ is what gives you joy. And it brings... Oh, just when, when I see somebody grow in here, it's like, wow. It's like, it's like when you, when you, you know, like when you, when you plant something in the garden and you finally see it pop up, it's like, wow, how cool that was. You know, you watered it and took care of it. The sun came. One day you see it go, boop. And it's like the same thing when you're in church. You see somebody start growing. It's like, it's like brings joy to you. It lights you on fire again. That's why the mature believers, get miserable because they don't do anything what God's given them. It's to get souls saved and to become weak with those who are weak, rejoice with those who rejoice, cry with those who cry, be, be back with them. You're not above them, you go underneath them again. Now you lift them up. So we run to win. We All athletes are disciplined in their training. So we have to discipline ourselves to do this. That's why we do what we do on Monday. We discipline what's going on in here. So we can be an effect to the kingdom of darkness. We have to keep that in the check. Our sin nature has to stay in check. And amen for that. That's why we do what we do. And that's an awesome thing. Other than that, we can't be effective. We can't win souls when our soul isn't one. Because we're still, the world is still controlling us. Not Christ. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So look what he says. I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I'm not just going through the day. 
I'm going to go to work today. Now it's all about me. You see it? But when you have a purpose, oh, maybe I can get some, maybe I can talk to somebody about Jesus today. You start to light up again. Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I go up again today. That's why I'm alive. That's why God opened my eyes. <laughs> I discipline my body like an athlete. Now, anybody knows to do anything, exercise physically, it takes a lot of discipline. We know that, right? Like an athlete, if you're running the marathon, it takes a lot of training and self-denial to get into the kind of condition to run that marathon. And it's the same thing spiritually, so we can be effective spiritually. It takes a lot of what? Denying self and all that sinful stuff inside of us so we can be in effect in the kingdom of darkness. Amen? So we have to discipline ourselves to resist it. It's a hard thing. I thought going to the gym was hard. It's hard to control my flesh. Oh my God. Discipline that. I, I, the gym is easy compared to discipline my flesh. So walk in the park. You know, can I get an amen for that? Amen. So I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's why we have to keep ourselves in check as we go out on the mission field. Because people will see that if we're not doing the right thing, it's not going to have any effect. So we have to keep checking ourselves. And that's what we do on Monday. We keep checking ourselves. Make sure we're cleaned out so we can be an effective use for God. Amen? All right, we're going to stop there tonight. It was an awesome study. God is good. We're out of time. We're going to stop there. We'll get continue with um, chapter 10 when we get together again. Brittany is going to come up and sing, and we are going to close.